0: Hey guys, welcome to the Short Term Show special episode series on Shenandoah, Virginia. A couple things I want to hit you with first before we get into the episodes. One, current purchase prices and current income data can be found on our website at theshorttermshop.com. So make sure you check that out because that can change all the time also if you guys want to hang out with us and just talk about short-term rental stuff you can do that with us and sixty thousand of our closest short-term rental investor friends at our facebook group same title as my book short-term rental long-term wealth make sure to like and subscribe to this podcast and all of our podcasts if you can because that really helps us out uh, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel, the Short Term Shop YouTube, and then also follow us on Instagram at the Short Term Shop. And if you're ready to buy a house with us in any of our 20 markets, you can email us at agents at com or really any of the avenues that I just gave you. Now let's get into it. Hey guys, welcome to everyone's favorite episode of the special episode series this time on shenandoah the numbers episode everybody waits they skip forward they don't actually wait they skip up to the numbers episode so today we're talking about numbers we are only talking about income numbers and kind of how to analyze we're not talking about expenses that will be its own episode coming up next so this is only income numbers that we're talking about here. Uh, several familiar faces that you will know from both this and previous episodes and and podcasts. Uh, we've got Alan and John. Alan, you want to introduce yourself real quick, and then we'll go over to John.
1: Yeah, if I can even get unmuted here. Yeah, so I'm uh, Alan Taylor. I work here for the Short Term Shop in the Shenandoah region. I've lived in the Virginia area for the past decade or so, and uh, really love this area. It is a uh, not native to this area but we've decided this is where we're going to stay and um, love the shenandoah region in particular um, get out there quite a bit and it's a beautiful
2: beautiful place to be i highly recommend if you've never been here come on down all awesome. right thanks alan <laughs> um, all right john yeah okay so i'm i'm john bianchi i'm the airbnb data guy i'm the head of data for tech which is the largest short-term rental fund in america It's my job to figure out you know what is the absolute best market for us to enter into what's the best thing to purchase within that market and how to maximize the revenue of every single property that we get and i also have a uh uh, airbnb data consulting business on the side and products and softwares and free uh courses on youtube as well so i live and breathe airbnb data haven't been to Shenandoah, but i feel like i want to go now
0: (laughs) yeah well yeah yeah. come on yeah All right. So at the beginning of these, if you guys have been listening to our other markets, you can skip right through this. But for those who are just now coming to us who found this because they want to buy in Shenandoah specifically, we're going to talk about the analysis of short-term rentals really quick and and some best practices before we get into the actual numbers of this market. So um, when you're analyzing short-term rentals, or when you're listening to podcasts about real estate investing, there's a lot of keywords and phrases that get thrown around uh we're not going to go into all the ones that you don't really need too much but the main one the the most usual way to analyze a short-term rental and I'm not saying that there aren't other ways that you can use but I don't want any comments on my YouTube tell me I'm wrong I'm acknowledging that there's other ways but cash on cash return is typically the best way that we have at the moment to kind of analyze short-term rentals so um Alan what do you want to give us a a definition of cash on cash return or I can if you want since I've done this about 10 times already up to you
1: yeah sure I'll jump in and then uh, you can correct me how about that so cash on cash return is like (laughs) essentially the return you get on uh, the money you put into the deal so you know you can measure that by the down payment or the cash investment you have in the deal and then the annualized return you see as a result of
0: that sweet so explaining to myself i have to have it explained to me like this or to anyone else who needs it explained to them like this like a 5 year old um it's basically the money that you put in the cash you put in at the beginning of the deal whether that's you know your down payment your your closing costs all that stuff versus the amount of cash you have in your bank account at the end of the year after all expenses including your mortgage so that's very important because there are other analysis tools and formulas uh like net operating income that are used a lot in commercial Real estate, and sometimes people don't realize when you're new that net operating income does not include your debt service. So if you don't realize that, then things can look really, really great because it's the it's your net income before your mortgage, which is your biggest expense. So uh, just keep that in mind. Cash on cash return includes your mortgage. Um, it's usually the easiest way I've found uh, because it doesn't de- it doesn't determine any type of value of the property. Like when you're using cap rate. Um, I don't want to get too off in the weeds on things that you don't really need to know, but cap rate, if you guys see that, uh, it does have some value in just kind of knowing a few things about the property. But typically, that's used for commercial properties because the cap rate determines what the value of the property is. So the income determines the cap rate, which determines the value of the property. When we're dealing with short-term rentals, since those are residential still, technically, that may change in the future if... Uh, banks decide to look at these as commercial assets. But as of now, they're still residential, which means they're valued based on the sold residential comps, just like a primary home would be. So it doesn't matter how much the property makes in the eyes of the appraiser, it's valued based on sold comps. Um, Now, the income can indirectly affect the value in terms of what an investor might be willing to pay for it. But in terms of what the bank is looking at, doesn't really have any effect. So we focus over here on on cash on cash return. Now, one thing I will say about cash on cash return is that um, there have been different rules of thumb for what cash on cash return should be in the short-term rental world over the past several years because this is still a relatively new asset class and things have changed a lot over the past five, six, seven years. So uh, it used to be, the rule used to be, it needed to be 30% and it needed to be 20%, depending on who you talk to, um, I like to look for a property that I can get to a 20% cash on cash return, not one that's doing that already because that's not going to exist. You're looking for properties that you, where you can find the opportunity to either add amenities, add bedrooms, anything income producing to get that property up to a 20% cash on cash return. Now, cash on cash return is not the be all end all either uh if you're buying a property that you have to put a bunch of work in up front like if you've got a if you've got to make your down payment and then you're also doing a big rehab your cash on cash return is going to look terrible in the year that you do that rehab so like let's use our brains here and understand that you're not going to be doing that rehab every single year so your cash on cash return is going to change year over year um, another thing is is cash flow. So uh, some investors prefer to look at what their cash flow is going to be, their monthly cash flow or their annual cash flow, more so than what the cash on cash return is going to be. Uh, you cannot necessarily have the best of both of those worlds because the more money you put down upfront, the lower your cash on cash return will be, but the higher your cash flow will be. And the least the less money you put down the lower your cash flow will be but the higher your cash on cash return so you kind of can't have both of those you're not going to put down 30% or 40% and have like this crazy amazing cash on cash return but your cash flow will be great because you're putting down more and your payment will be lower but um you're not going to see like a put you're not going to put down 50% and have like a 50% cash on cash return it's just not how it works i think i've confused you enough So, uh, you know, do your own homework on cash on cash return versus cash flow. And now we'll get into talking about the numbers of this market where Mr. John Bianchi comes in. So John, do you want to give us just kind of like a high level? And then we'll ask you some questions based off of that
2: yeah definitely appreciate that love the uh analysis of cash on cash and cash flow by the way and you did say kind you can't you kind of can't have both i would say you can't have both you have to have one or the other it's just kind of how it is right right so anyways just want to want to throw that out before i get into all the numbers but um yeah i you know i i do my did my research on shenandoah valley like i usually do before hopping on these podcasts and uh I've I've never been there, so I don't have that local knowledge, which is you know where Alan is going to step in. And uh, we were talking actually before we got started, and I realized that majority of the locations that I analyzed for Shenandoah Valley was not all of the locations, and so um, it's a very large area, right? Like a two-hour radius, and I, I analyzed the markets that were from uh, Elkton to Shenandoah to Stanley to Luray. Uh, all the way up to Fort Royal, they're kind of like all in a line there. But there was a there was a a, a couple that I was still missing out on. So the numbers that I'm going to be talking about are um, a, a portion of the valley, but not the entire valley. Just to kind of throw that out there. Right now, uh, the first thing I want to kind of talk about is that this is a market that benefited greatly from COVID. Right, it was is one of these areas where everyone was escaping the skitty cities and going out to uh, the the Shenandoah Valley just like they're going over to Blue Ridge they're going to Gatlinburg, all these different places right and that definitely helped uh create some really killer listings and great properties you know turned into turned into even more of an Airbnb location than it was um but from what I'm seeing it's it's the market is more consistent nowadays and more level and more of like a the true type of uh travel destination that it always has been right so that's what what, I, what i'm seeing in the numbers and what i'm liking to see in the numbers is the fact that the uh it's it's sort of leveled out it's like it's where it should be or where it will be moving forward it's not this uh um what is that called where it's something is only popular for like a year or two you're I mean Light or overly popular a hype or uh anyways not sure if that's making sense What i'm trying to say but um anyways so what i wanted to Kind of what i always like to do as well is point out some interesting things that i found out about the market as i was analyzing it and um honestly there's there's one thing that just stands out above everything and it's the fact that the two bedrooms kill it like they crush it the two bedrooms actually do way better than i was expecting um and i was reviewing you know i always like to take all of the bedroom counts and kind of line them up side by side and see if there's like one bedroom one size of home that tends to do better than the others and the two bedrooms honestly really surprised me now the three bedrooms do really well also but the two bedrooms are not far off from how well the three bedrooms do and then when it gets to like the fours fives and sixes naturally they're doing um better but i would say personally that there's more consistent proof that a three bedroom and a two bedroom perform really well if you have a certain type of listing. And so for me, when I was reviewing this data, I was like, that's I got excited. And the reason I got excited is because naturally a two bedroom or a three bedroom is going to be significantly cheaper than a four, five, six, or seven, right? Um, and so it makes it for this like easier entry point. To be able to still have a property that would cash flow for you, right? And if you have the additional money to get a four bedroom or a five bedroom, you're going to have the competitive competitive advantage, right? But for those people that don't have the ability to buy those uh, sized homes, you have these threes and twos that can cash flow for you. So to me, I just thought this was like super intriguing. Um, and and anyways, I thought that was I thought that was cool now i went out and tried to see if there were any properties um on the market right now at this exact moment that matched up with the properties that i was looking at and mind you i'm always trying to find like the best of the best the highest performing all that those kind of things right uh, and, and unfortunately i you know the excitement kind of died down a little bit because um i was reviewing the you know two bedrooms and the three bedrooms and seeing what they look like And there there's definitely a certain type of listing that performs Obviously, better than everything else, and I'll explain that in a second. But um, when I was looking at the properties that were for sale in this moment, um, I wasn't able to find anyone that I would be like pull the trigger on without a doubt uh, off of what's on Zillow, right? But when you look at the properties that were that have sold within the past little while, um, they there are properties that do meet the twenty percent rule that do meet the style and requirements of what I would want to purchase, which tells me that yes. These properties are coming online, and they're just being sold quick. So, Alan, that's where you're kind of going to jump in, where it's like you—you you obviously are seeing these properties um, over and over again, and you know. My assumption is that this is a market you have to know inside and out, and be ready to take action right away. Would you agree with that?
1: Yeah, I would definitely agree with that, and especially in some of these areas where you're going to see a lot of like clusters of short-term rentals. You're going to have to be on the ready, and when something comes up, you got to be ready to pull the trigger on it. And, and so, I would, yeah, I would definitely echo, I would echo your sentiments there. There are properties that are coming on the market. And the good ones they go quickly so you got to be ready to go
2: yeah so you know all the more reason to do your research and really know the market inside and out before you're even going to purchase there right because it's, it's not like there's just properties that are sitting there ready to go so you understand so once you know exactly what you're looking for you've got like a good buy box ready to go you're in contact with alan and then all of a sudden it pops up and you're, you're purchasing it like that day right like that's the kind of the, the way that i would see this to win in this market right um now Oh, I had something else that I want to bring up too. Um, Oh, the, the, uh, the, the, what the properties actually look like, right? So the ones that are doing over $75,000 or so, that's kind of like where, where I'm, where I tend to look at. I look at the top performers. Now that does not mean that all of the properties, um, that don't meet the requirements of what i'm going to say right now would not be profitable that's not what i'm trying to say right i'm just saying that these are the qualities that i was seeing that was maximizing the most amount of revenue and they're probably going to sound stupid obvious right but the the cabins uh in this area naturally do better right cabins obviously do better it's one of these areas where like if you have a cabin it's it's what people are looking for and so they want that now the uh interesting thing that i found was that there was this one home that was actually a cabin, but had drywall inside. So the outside looked like a cabin, but the inside didn't. And the reason this was interesting was because the homes right above it that were making more money were worse listings, but they had that like wood interior. The part that I found even more interesting, though, was that the listings that were doing slightly better actually had tongue and groove and not like authentic log you know what i mean inside those homes so to me when i see that i see that as an advantage where i'm like well you can put tongue and groove into a property and now all of a sudden it's a log cabin on the inside right and on the outside and that's a it's like an amenity that you'd be adding to your property that's going to allow you to perform really well so to me i found that super intriguing that was sort of the first piece of uh a criteria that i liked the other one that i found was obviously if you can get a property with mountain views right you're up on the mountain you have like true mountain views those are always going to win everywhere but the the other thing was that if you could actually get valley views so if you had views from the base of the valley but you had like a good amount of greenery um, and you could actually see the mountains in the distance and and had a, a bit a piece of land there that also allowed uh people were also doing well with those types of properties too so to me, I'm like, that's, I find that intriguing, right? Because like, if you see somebody who has mountain views, then somebody has value views and they're roughly doing the same amount. It's like, well, that's intriguing because obviously value views are cheaper than um, mountain views. And as you can tell, I'm always trying to find like the most optimal thing to purchase. That's how I'm like narrowing it down. Um, and so I think there was, there were some other things here I had, I wanted to mention too as well, the lots of land, uh, the interior, the wood, the cabin. Those are oh, and then also I found that most of the properties that were actually performing really well, not all, but most were in the Loray and Stanley area, uh, but not in the downtown core. So in the outside of the Lorraine and Stanley area. And I actually like made a little map around uh, uh avoiding the downtown area when I was looking on Zillow for both of those, just so I could see the properties that were just outskirts in the outskirts. So after doing all that research, um, there's properties out there that meet the 20% rule. You just have to be ready for them, right? And you have to be able to ideally try and um, maximize your revenue by doing some strategic things. So, like honestly, if I were to be going to look for a property in the in this area, it would be in Lorraine and Stanley on the outskirts of the towns, and it would ha- it would have valley views rather than mountain views, and it would be most likely a two bedroom rather than a three bedroom. Uh, and it would have some, it, I would probably look for a property where I could add tongue and, tongue and groove rather than anything else. Uh, that way I could kind of give myself an advantage. And then I would outdo it the way it would typically do it and try and add all the additional amenities. So like for anyone who's listening, that's <laughs> that's my most optimal buy box. Doesn't mean that that's the only thing you can purchase, but that's just where it kind of landed after my research. So I just went on a long rant there, but, uh, any thoughts on that guys?
0: <laughs> I love it. I love it. I'll see if I'm going to steal you, uh, <laughs> work for me. Um, okay. So yeah, I have a few questions. So Alan just offhand, like not holding you to, you know, anything so what what is the average purchase price right now guys if you're listening to this a year from now this is what month is it it's july of 2023 what's the average purchase price for a a two bedroom in this market right now just to kind of give people some context here Hold so this is going to
1: be somewhat market specific but it's like close to the resort areas you're going to see north of 300 so like between 300 and 370 is probably going to be like for a two-bedroom especially if it's like a ski chalet close to the slopes or something like that but if it's close to like resort amenities or something that's really fun or attractive like river access or something like that you're going to see north of 300 uh and depending like if it's got a lot of acreage that's going to throw off like the numbers so even if it's a two-bedroom and it's got like three or four acres and it's got river access it's going to be you know north of 450 sometimes north of 500 just for that you know same property but you know for a two-bedroom and resort areas close to amenities probably i would say the reasonable range is like between 300 and 360.
0: and that's still that's a really really great price especially if you compare to other popular like uh eastern mountain east eastern us mountain markets um I, that's still much lower than a lot of other markets so i think this is a, like really good deal and um john back to you so some things that we discussed in the previous episode about amenities so it seems like there's a lot of opportunity to really create a super property without having to go do, without having to like really think too hard about it. So just having like a themed game room or something. So what did you see in terms of amenities? So you said, obviously the mountain view, past uh, pastoral view. I really hate the word pastoral, by the way, uh, but valley view, um, What do you see anything else besides those two things?
2: Yeah, I, so, well, first off, what I want to mention is that I didn't find a load of amazing listings, like a ton of really strong, stellar listings. What I consider to be like a, a top tier property, Um, that's actually what I was hoping
0: you were going to say, because that's the vibe that I got. Okay. Perfect.
2: Yeah. Like, I mean, we, we (laughs) talked about this in the last episode too. I think it was for golf shores where I was like, I was surprised with how few great listings that there are there were. Right. And when I say great listings, go look at some of the most popular markets that exist like austin nashville scottsdale and take a look at those listings you're going to find super listings right like listings that are just done so perfectly uh go look on airbnb's you know instagram page and look at the the properties that they post i'm not trying to say that you have to spend a crazy amount of money to actually make these listings work but you can be very very strategic with your listing for it to actually be profitable right so Anyways, that's the first thing I want to mention is that there wasn't a ton of people who were crushing it. But there was one person who had a really great listing. I'm actually looking at it right now. Um, it really well put together, really well designed. And I, what I think is allowing this property to make more than most of the other listings around here. It's actually making like about 30,000 more than most of the other people. Um, it's got these these uh, a, a good piece of land. So it's got a little bit of like a good front yard grassary, gra- grass area. But then it's also within that area, it has a fire pit with the Adirondack chairs surrounding it. It's got a hot tub with hanging lights surrounding all around that. Um, And then it's got a nice little deck and, and some views there. So in my opinion, most of the time when it comes to these mountain towns, you really just need a fire pit and a hot tub. If you can nail those two things if you if you can add those two things great but um everybody else is also going to have those things and so it's about taking those two amenities and amping them up what i always call bringing them to life right so anybody could take a bunch of chairs put them in a circle and put a little pit in the middle. But there's a big difference when you add string lights all the way around it. And you add like nice chairs and you have like a a good looking fire pit. And then it's also, um, it's not just on the grass. It's like on gravel and surrounded by, and it's a, it's really like its own area, right? It just looks so much better. And when it looks so much better, people are willing to pay more, right? And so that's how you get those higher ADRs. Uh, And the same thing goes for the hot tub, right? Don't just toss up a hot tub and, Take a photo of it with the cover on, really bring it to life. Put some, put some uh lights above it, put some greenery around it, put a neon light behind it if you wanted to. Put some like uh, a deck or, or sorry, a um a bar around it and really bring it to life so that it's a place where people want to hang out and when they see it, they want to book the home to be able to be in that really unique, uh great space that you've created for them. And so I think when it just comes to the Shenandoah area, if we're just focusing on amenities it's design and it's hot tub and fire pit. If you could just nail those three, and I can't stress enough how important design is because you wanna create a space that people want to feel uh, that they can can spend time in, right? That they feel cozy in. Um, Because if, Alan, if you can, Correct me if I'm wrong, but like it does get fairly cold in Shenandoah sometimes, correct? Yeah, the coldest months are going to be January, February, but it doesn't get like frigid cold.
1: Like it never gets below, like it rarely gets below five degrees Fahrenheit. And it's usually like, even like during the coldest months, usually like 20s and 30s.
2: Yeah, so that's, you know, what I mean, that that still, it's still not necessarily weather where like you're, you're sitting out on the deck, right? And so the reason I bring that up is because if people can't do that, and they and you still want to get your home booked out. You've got to create a really cozy, comfortable space for them inside. That's really makes them feel like they can spend time inside of the listing as well as staying outside. And so that's that's where I think design goes a really long way with these colder markets. That's something I've been noticing a lot. Uh, design goes a long way everywhere, but just wanted to kind of throw that out there.
0: A few things I want to point out here. So this is the second market in a row that you've put a lot of emphasis on the strand hanging lights. So guys, that's like that's a really inexpensive way to make your property more attractive. Is to have uh, around whatever your outdoor area is the the strand lighting. So, I mean. When he's saying design and uh, how to set yourself apart, it doesn't always have to be like, oh, I went and paid an interior designer two hundred thousand dollars to do my property. It's you know throwing up some strand lights and taking a picture uh, in the evening time. Maybe a little bit, a mo- little more in depth than that, but um, you see what I'm saying. And I kind of feel like, and correct me if I'm wrong here, because I don't own in this market but it seems like you also the just the playing field of where the design is in this market compared to like a Nashville or a Scottsdale uh if you're coming in as a an experienced owner or host from one of those markets and you apply some of those, not necessarily that expensive uh, design concepts here, you might really be able to knock it out of the park. Am I making a good assumption here?
2: Yeah, you are. This one listing, just the one listing that I'm looking at alone that I think is at the level of what all of these listings should be at is making quite a bit more than everybody else. Therefore, they are direct proof that if you put together a stellar listing with good design and the right amenities, you will make more than everybody else because people are willing to pay for it. Right, like in this home, by the way, does not have dry, does not have uh, tongue and groove or wood on side or uh, uh, or views or valley views or literally any of the things that I said would you would need to do well, and so and it's a two bedroom and it's making two bedroom one bath and it's making ninety four thousand dollars a year, right? Whoa. So yeah, exactly. So. Like I'm saying, the, the the design, the amenities, the right photos, they go a very long way. And this is all the proof that you need to say that people are willing to pay a little bit more for a stellar listing in this area. But that's also true almost everywhere. People are always <laughs> willing to pay more for a better listing with better photos, with better design, with better amenities. It's just how it goes.
0: So Alan, are you seeing mostly when listings hit the market, are they... Mostly kind of those like grandma cabins that need, I call them brown cabins. Uh, they're just kind of like boring, need some updates, um, kind of blank canvassy. Or are we seeing things hit the market from sophisticated operators that are already like there in terms of design?
1: Oh, that's a good question. I, I am seeing a lot of what you'd call like grandma or gingerbread come on the market. And I feel like those are actually great opportunities because oftentimes they're priced accordingly and they're a great opportunity that you can take a, a property that's a blank canvas and kind of really bring some nice design into it. Like, you know, John was mentioning, being able to bring a designer in and make that property look at its best is really going to set you apart in this market. And I think there's a lot of properties coming on the market right now. And again, like the timestamp, and this is July, 2023, but there's a lot of properties coming on the market that have a lot of great opportunity for somebody to come in, implement some great design and really set it apart. (laughs) There are a few properties that are coming online in the market that I would say there's a few people that are that are trying to sell it like furnished as like a quote unquote turnkey. I know you hate that term. a quote unquote turnkey for you know short-term rentals, but you know they're selling it furnished. And you know, sometimes these people haven't even used them as like Airbnbs or short-term rentals. They just use them as second homes, and they're selling all the furniture with it. And you know it's it's tempting to come in and say, hey, I could just uh, walk in here and you know list this on Airbnb. But I would you know caution and say, like, Just because, you know, the furniture may not, may look nice to you. Take a look around the neighborhood. Take a look at the other Airbnb listings. Look at, you know, who else has got some good design going and, and use that to your advantage. Don't just say like, you know, Hey, hey, it comes with furniture. Hey, it comes with these furnishings. I'm good to go. Um, definitely be mindful of design and there's a lot of opportunities that are older properties that need some updates. That's a great way to come in the market, but, um, I would say it's, just be and make sure that you are willing to to put some work into it because you don't want to like you don't want to do this halfway.
0: totally agree with that. And I will say the reason that I hate the word turnkey is because it's just so subjective and it means something different to everyone. So turnkey to somebody might be like secondhand mismatched furniture. Well, it's got everything in there I need. So here we go. But then I've seen people be buying like brand new construction and the, that comes fully furnished and like the crew forgot to take the wrapping off the refrigerator or something. And they're like, I was told this was going to be turnkey and I had to take this wrapping off the refrigerator myself. So that's why I just try to avoid using that phrase because it's so different for everyone. And there are some really great affordable remote designers. Uh, like Paige Hayes. She's been on the short-term show before. Jenny Yee is another one where they'll work with any budget and they can do it all remotely. Sometimes they... Depending on you know what you order, what you want, um, they can do the whole thing remotely or they can come set it up. And they really do have options for every budget. So there's a lot... It's a lot easier now than it used to be to, to do that kind of thing. Definitely.
2: Definitely don't buy a property that's turnkey with furniture and just take photos. Please don't do that. Bring it, Bring it to life. <laughs> Anyone who does that, they're at the bottom of the pack making like $30,000 a year. Those properties are out there too, right? There's the one that's making 94, which is like what you should strive for. But the ones making 30 are out there too. And it's just bad operators. So if like Alan was saying, I I have courses on YouTube that you can go through that teach you exactly how to study your competition to make sure you don't make that mistake. So just look up my name and go from there. All right. I wanted to put
1: something that Avery was saying, like... It's easy for you to like go and find somebody like the resource you need to help your property succeed. It has never been easier than today in the internet age to assemble the short term rental Avengers and bring them to bear on your property. Like bringing like making your property shine is not nowhere near as difficult. I think people overcomplicate it. They overthink it. Yeah, absolutely. There's lots of opportunities out there. Even in a low inventory market, there's stuff coming online that's worthwhile. You can really make shine and just hit it down on the park if you bring in the right resources.
0: Yeah. Totally agree with that. Is there anything that we haven't touched on that we need to regarding income numbers for this market that the listeners might benefit from as we're wrapping up? Trying to
1: think of like, I've had a number of people ask me, you know, about properties that are in HOAs versus not HOAs. Uh, One thing I've seen is like the price levels that you're seeing on some of these properties are almost the inverse of what some people expect when it comes to HOAs. I've heard a lot of people say that HOAs help protect property values in these markets where you've got lots of short-term rentals. Any HOA that does not allow short-term rentals is actually hurting the price on their properties, which is kind of an odd thing that I didn't expect to see. But there's a lot of neighborhoods, like in Page County, not too far from Luray, that don't allow short-term rentals, or they have, you know, language in their HOA that you know kind of makes it ambiguous that you know people are avoiding, and those property values are hurting as a result. And so, even if you're seeing like a if you're seeing a property that's got a low price and the property looks great, uh, there's a good chance uh, that it's it's not going to make a good short-term rental just because of like the regulatory environment. So when you're running your numbers, make sure that you're like including like its suitability as a short term rental as a result of like the HOA. So it like the property price and the property's looks aren't always going to be a one to one indicator. So just make sure you're you're doing your due diligence and, and diving in and making sure you know why a property is, is at its current price level.
2: Yeah, that's that's uh actually something I've noticed across the board. So there's there's quite a few different markets around America where there'll be some some homes that are uh, not allowed and some that are, but that are like very close to each other. And you'll see the home value be like $100,000 more simply because it can be turned into a short-term rental. And that's like understood within the market. And so the things are priced a little bit higher, but um, it's, a, it's a higher entry point, but at the same time, it holds more value because it has more opportunity, right? Um, you're not constrained with the property you just purchased. So yeah, I, that, that is a trend everywhere.
0: Awesome. Well, really, really great information here today, guys. Um, super... Happy and excited to be uh, on a podcast with both of you. A lot of great information. Uh, Guys, if you are interested in learning more about this market or short-term rental investing in general, you can join us every Thursday for a live Q&A. You can sign up for that at strquestions.com. You can also join our Facebook group. It's called Short-Term Rental, Long-Term Wealth, same title as my book. Or if you're ready to just jump in and go straight to Shenandoah and start working with Alan, you can email him at alan, A-L-A-N at com, And John, where can they find you if they want to follow you?
2: Uh, I am at the Airbnb data guy everywhere. So if you go and look that up anywhere, you can find me. I recommend anyone who doesn't know me to just watch most of my YouTube content so you can get to know me. And then from there, you can you know reach out through Instagram and my email. So...
0: All right. Well, thank you guys so much. And we'll catch you on the next market uh, segment, John.
2: See you there.